Hi, this is Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds. This week, I'm joined by John T. Edge. Hi, John T. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm glad to be with you. Could you please introduce yourself to listeners who may not know who you are? My name is John T. Edge, and I live in Oxford, Mississippi, and work mostly at the University of Mississippi. I'm the writer-in-residence here for the Department of Writing and Rhetoric. I direct an initiative called the Mississippi Lab. And most important to your listeners, I think, I teach in a low-residency MFA program in narrative nonfiction at the University of Georgia, and I love it. And and, and why why food? Like, when did you, like, if you, like, kind of, like, you know, rewind back, you know, when did you know that food was going to be a thing for you? I mean, it's interesting. I, I, it's almost like I saw an opportunity. Um, so I moved here to Oxford in 1995. I moved from Atlanta. I was living in Little Five Points. Um, I had a corporate job, and there was a huge disconnect between my Saturday night and my Monday mornings. Like I would drive outside the perimeter from Little Five Points to work a corporate job. And so when I moved here, when I moved to Oxford, it was to go back to school to um, try to figure out my relationship to the South. And when I got to the Center for the Study of Southern Culture, which is where I eventually got my undergrad and then got my master's, people were studying the South from all these different angles. Like I met a guy who was researching the front porch as a social space in the South. And I met a woman who had just moved from New York City who was looking at beauty queen culture in the South. And that was a really freeing thing. Um, I arrived here at the time where an English professor had just started an international conference on Elvis Presley. Like there were people kind of busting open what the academy could do and and I realized that, that, you know, I had a lifelong interest in food. I grew up maybe a mile. I don't know. Every time I tell the story, I say it's a different distance from my house. But I don't know how far it was from a barbecue joint um, in, in Clinton, Georgia, near Gray, which is near Macon. Um, and, and I grew up with a father who was a really curious cook and a mother who was a really good old fashioned cook. But I didn't realize until I got here and I saw people kind of studying the South, thinking about the South from all those different perspectives that I could think and write about food. And one of the things that told me that is I, I remember reading a USA Today piece about, um, about Rick Bayless and about how Bayless would close his restaurant for X amount of time each year and take his colleagues on a you know adventure research trip to a different state in Mexico and try to understand the place. And he referenced, you know, apologies to Rick if I misquote him, but I believe he referenced what he was undertaking as culinary anthropology. And I read that at a time when I was trying to figure out what I might do in, in school when I went back to school and like a light bulb went off. It's like, oh, I could try this. And I was lucky to begin to try that at a point when not a lot of people were trying that. But in your childhood, you said that both of your parents were cooks in their own right. Was mm-hmm. food a big part of your day-to-day? Like, is, was it some a way that your family connected? I mean, yes and no. Like, so, so um, 
you know, I, I've written some about this. Like, you know, I, I grew up in a, um, in a, in a really um, creative household and I grew up in some ways in a really destructive household. Um, you know, uh, my mother um, was, as I mentioned, a, a great kind of old fashioned cook, but my mother was also a, you know, an alcoholic and, and, as I understand kind of what she was going through, probably borderline personality disorder, um, afflicted person. Um, um, so, you know, a lot of my interest in food was born of experiences outside of our home. Um, there was still food in our home that mattered. My father, um, loved to roast big haunches of beef and cook it kind of blood red. Um, I still love rare meat because of that my mother made great um vegetable soup and I, I can picture the the black peppercorns floating in the soup and i can remember being in the market with her as she bought bone marrow bones to to cook the soup but my interest in food um owes as much though to like the trips we would take to atlanta about an hour away hour and a half away from where i grew up and my father would take us, there used to be a um, a Chinese market like in Lindbergh Plaza in the back corner. And um, I remember my father um, taking me in there and I remember buying dried squid as like my snack to eat on the way home when I'm like 10 or 12. <laughs> so, um, so I grew up in this very old South kind of, place that I eventually rebel against, but I also grew up on the cusp of the new South. Um, and I grew up with home cooking, but really was interested in, you know, kind of the, what could be found in markets and what could be found in restaurants too. So you did have that curiosity about food at a young age. Yeah. I did. And I didn't even know it was exceptional until later. Because then I started, you know, talking to other people and and thinking about, um, you know, smart people like you ask me questions like, tell me about your formative experience with food. And then I hear it coming out of my mouth, the story about the squid, you know, and my father would would my father was an early subscriber to Knife and Fork. I think even in the first year, um, Christiane could tell us um, <laughs> she has the records. She could, she could and she would. She like does. she remembers my father. She remembers my father um as a subscriber. Mm -hmm. You know, at one point there are two John T. Edges on her on her um, you know, her her roles. One's going to Macon, Georgia, where he lived after um after my parents divorced and after he remarried, and one's coming to Oxford, Mississippi. So um and that kind of curiosity fed him. He was a small town kid himself. So um, part of the way he showed his own curiosity for the world and developed it was by eating. I mean, he would buy, I remember him going to Buford Highway, not to the Lindbergh Plaza, but driving Buford Highway and buying like those black chickens mm -hmm. from like low boy freezers at, at markets, you know, so those two kind of, um, those two kind of, vacillating things ran through my head and ran through the narrative of my childhood. It's like there's a barbecue joint up the road and there's, you know, black chicken to bring home from Atlanta. And I mean, that curiosity, I think, is what always intrigued me 
about you, you know, just in the capacity I first came to know you was in Southern Foodways, um, you know, which you were the founding director. I mean, you look, as you were saying, just talking about all the ways that you guys were breaking apart the South when you're at that university, just you had this way of breaking down the South in a way that I had never even thought. I mean, I didn't even really know what a food way was until, you know, you and your organization, you know, um, do you, was it that curiosity that led you to, to found the Southern Foodways Alliance? Well, I mean, you know, there's a, there were 50 founders of the SFA, and I, I was one of them. I, I was lucky to be hired at the organizational meeting in 1999 in Birmingham as a director and, and you know, given a lot of license to figure out what that meant. Um, but, you know, I, I, I didn't, I can't say I knew what I was doing. I, I, I can say I was curious, and I can say that, you know, I came to Oxford with the idea that I would make new narratives about the South. And it's taken me a long time to recognize that a lot of that work was more personal than I wanted to believe it was. I spent, you know, the first 20 years of my work writing about others and focusing my attention on others. And then more recently, I've recognized I'm working on a memoir now. And, and in part, I'm realizing that you know, I inherited a, a a narrative about my place and myself growing up, and at every turn, whether it's Southern Food Waste Alliance work or or more recently, TV work or this memoir, I'm trying to rewrite the place I inherited and the stories I inherited to make change in the place I love, and I'm no longer happy with that kind of duality that Southerners oftentimes expect accept, which is. I love this place and I hate this place. How do you actually love this place? What comes mm -hmm. the question? Mm -hmm. And and what kind of work are you doing today um, to that effect? So, um, you know, the, the, one of the fascinating things to me now, um, we're six seasons in, we're researching and reporting out the sixth season of this television show, True South, which... Wright Thompson, my friend and neighbor here in Oxford, is executive producer, and Tim Horgan up in Connecticut is the, is the director. And that's and, on the SEC network and ESPN. Mm -hmm. Yep, and, and Hulu. You can stream it on Hulu. Um, um, I, I look at, like, the Twitter feed for our show, and if you look at it, you'll see it. Like, not long ago, I did screenshots of people who watched the show. And um, there was a guy whose Twitter handle was, you know, something like JFK all the way go blue. And in the same moment, there was somebody commenting who one of their taglines was, you know, MTG is my rep. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is my rep. Both of them found some common purpose and some common ground in this television show we make. Um, and that um, is um, enlightening to me. And that um, is uh, it's maybe empowering to me. Like I, I, I wanna reach the South and I wanna be honest about myself and my, um, want for the South, my belief in the South. And I'm getting to do that now in a new kind of way. Um, I mean, one of the shows we made in the third season of, of our, of our 
series um, was about my mother and about my upbringing in, in Clinton, Georgia. And, and, and it was, you know, I, I, I returned to my mother's grave and I, I, while the cameras roll, I'm crying on my knees at my mother's grave. I mean, it's, it's raw and it's not the kind of stuff I've ever done before. And now I'm doing it. And, um, there's still discomfort with that, but I think that's all hard things bring discomfort. Yes. Um, but it's allowing me to reach an audience with what I'm trying to be as honest about myself and trying to be as honest about the South. I'm seeing those two poles find some kind of common ground in our show, no matter the political alliances. You can look at my feed and figure out my political alliances, but I'm trying to make a show that doesn't dig heels in, in terms of um, partisan issues and just tries to be honest about what I see and taste and hear and, and, and believe about the South. It's interesting that, like you said earlier, that it was always you focusing on the lens on other people's relationship with the South, but very much now it's, you know, you showing your relationship to the South and your unique perspective with all of these viewers. I mean, I do believe a little vulnerability never hurts. <laughs> If you're building a relationship with viewers or listeners, you know, um, but but just, you know, if we could just talk about um, the memoir that you're writing right now, because I find that very uh -huh. interesting, because one of the pieces that you wrote about your mother, you know, I, I was very impactful. And I know that it really, you know, moved a lot of people. Um, is this when you say it's a memoir, is it about your career or is it about yourself? Um. That's to be determined. <laughs> Depends on how much um, my my editor wants and doesn't want. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it begins in my childhood. Um, you know, and it, 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 it begins with that a narrative that I inherited. And maybe we talked about it this way a moment ago. I think we can talk about it that way. Like I grew up in the home of a Confederate brigadier general, and there were two historical markers on our property that told the story. And only later in life do I begin to do the research and allow myself to hear the voices to know that I grew up in a kind of Confederate terrarium surrounded by placards full of lies. Um, you know, and, you know, I knew that kind of instinctually. Um, if you're paying attention in the South, you, 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 understand um the fictions that that made this place but it's only recently have i began begun to build timelines and figure out oh yeah the historical marker in front of our house was installed in 1955 that's a year after a signal moment in in our nation's history you know there's a bunch of ways in which i'm writing about myself but i'm also writing about the south and if i do this right I'll write about, I'll write a book that anyone who lives in this place and grapples with their identity and um, maybe has the instinct to both love and hate the South um, might recognize in my struggle their own struggle. Can you just talk to more about that loving and hating the South? I just would love to hear you talk more about that to people that are not here and don't understand that. I mean, there, there is in one moment I, I can speak to you um, um, in glowing terms of, you know, the, 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 um, 
the barbecue I ate two weeks ago driving through rural Alabama um, and stopping off in Northport just outside of Tuscaloosa um, to go to Archibald's. And I can, I can sketch the scene of the pit just behind the counter when you walk in and a pit master working a, a, this kind of like medieval looking fork looking thing mounted on a big long pole. And I can talk to you about that sauce I can also talk to you about um, the year Archibald's opened, 1962. Um, so Archibald's opened um, in the midst of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. Archibald's was a place where a black family could build black wealth across the river from Tuscaloosa, outside the reach of white power, um, you know, this restaurant opens, you know, in essence, in the shadow of George Wallace's reign over that state. Um, this restaurant, you know, opens, um, you know, just before jo George Wallace takes the stand in the schoolhouse door to repel the integration of this university, um, that university, University of Alabama. So I can in I can hold forth on those two things at once. I can tell you that you know yes you should take a pilgrimage to Archibalds and yes you know um, spend time with that family and understand how great that barbecue is. Revel in that, take pride in that. Um, and then I can also say, but I also want you and I want myself to reckon with the legacy of that moment and that place and that time. And so as Southerners, you know, and I, I'm including, when I say the term Southerner, I don't mean it is an exclusive term. I mean, it is an inclusive term. Those people who live here, um, who claim this place, who moved here one year ago or one month ago or six generations ago. Um, but it is, it is incumbent upon Southerners to hold both those narratives in their heads, right? You know, to 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 celebrate the brilliance of Archibald's barbecue and also to recognize the terror that lurked um, just beyond the bounds of that restaurant. So you can either so if you want to take those two things the the beauty and the and the and the tragedy the terror you can either accept those on their own terms and realize that that is part of the fabric of the South and choose to love the, the whole of the South in a holistic way, or you can bifurcate them and pull them off into two strings and say, I love this about Archibalds and I hate this about the place that made it. I'm struggling in, 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 uh, in, in unsuccessfully, but continuing to struggle to, to hold those ideas in my head and come up from a meditation on those two ideas and say, I love the South and I love the people of the South even when they drive me crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just remember Wesley Morris, who's the culture critic from the New York Times. He just, he had this whole meditation on how can you separate the art from the artist? And it's almost kind of the way, you know, like, can you separate the beauty from the, from the ugly in the South, you know? You, you, you can't, you just, you just, if, if you, and I, you know, in, in saying I want to love it instead of choosing to love it and hate it, you know, I, I, I don't mean to buck a long tradition of really smart people from Faulkner to Natasha Trethewey who say, you know, I hold both these ideas in my head. Um, I hold both those ideas in my head too. And I'm trying to work toward reconciliation. Yeah. It's very dialectic. <laughs>
Um, but I mean, you did a lot of work, you know, with the Southern Food Ways Alliance, like bringing, I, I believe that there were a lot of like, you know, stories that weren't always easy, um, but but they were always enlightening to me. I mean, it definitely made me love myself a lot more, you know, to just learn about, you know, the enclave of, you know, all the Korean restaurants over in Alabama because, you know, of the, the Kia plant nearby or what have you. I mean, it, it just made me really be proud of the South. Um, with you, you're also a dad and you did talk about your, your wife who is a, a painter. Um, what kind of relationship does food play in your family and how are you teaching? I guess your son's now in his twenties. Yeah. He's yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. Son's yeah. 21. Um, yeah. I mean, food's a big part of our social life, our, our um, family life. Um, so my wife Blair is the best cook I know. And I'm not saying that because this is being recorded. Um, I'm <laughs> saying that because she's the best cook I know. Um, you know, for, for Valentine's dinner, Blair made a, a beautiful pizza with, with anchovies. Um, and she added pepperoni to the, to the pie as well. And, and cut the pepperoni in the shape of hearts. Like, you know, she's, she's a playful, inventive, beautiful cook. Um, and, and I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a good cook. I'm a good, I'm a better eater. Um, but you know, we've fallen into gender roles, even when we might want to, um, uh, distance ourselves from them. Um, you know, I'm the person who cooks the big hunk of pork on the big green egg and Blair is the person who bakes biscuits and, you know, um, and and we we recognize the generals and, and want to subvert them, but then fall back into them. <laughs> um, you know, um, we we're both we both find um, um, quiet and um, union in time in restaurants. Like Blair and I love to sit at a bar with the swirl of a restaurant around us, the noise, the kind of white noise of a good restaurant, like at snack bar here in Oxford. Um, we love to sit at a bar and, and just talk about our day and, and talk about the next meal we're planning and talk about our, you know, her next art show. She's got a show coming up this November at Spalding Nicks in Atlanta, by the way. When, um, is, it, when, when is that again? Um, Spalding Nicks Gallery there mm -hmm. in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. In um, November, you said? November 17th, I think it opens. Okay. Um, and uh, um, so... That's a big part of public dining and private kitchen work is a big part of it. Um, our son, who is in school at Belmont and Nashville, um, you know, is um, is a really good eater, um, a really curious eater. Um, he, um, you know, when he was about 10 um, we began taking these, no, earlier than that, it was about eight, we began taking father-son road trips, and those were always centered around food, and that's either, you know, we, we flew um, into Los Angeles and flew out of San Francisco and, you know, ate at um, everywhere from, on that trip, everywhere from, um, you know, the uh, the apple pan in LA for burgers to Qua in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and now barbecue is still a big part of our, our, my son and our interaction. So is cocktail making, um, mm, it's evolving. Come to, 
he's he like when he when he turned about 16 we started making cocktails together because i knew he would be drinking um i knew there's the culture of drinking in 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 the community which we grew up so I wanted him to learn better than me. Um, I wanted him to shy away from Red Bull and vodka and move. No hunch punch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you know, I, I'm, I'm not trying to. You know, I, I don't think he's he's um, without the influence of hunch punch in his life. But I but I think he knows the difference between the two. And I don't know if I did growing up. I mean, I grew up only wanting to eat cheeseburgers, and I became a restaurant critic. So I think. You know, whatever your path is, it's fine by me, you know, but, um, so what are you and Blair, if it's a night and you guys really need comfort, what are you cooking to eat at home? Um, well, so I'll answer that with a couple of things. Blair Blair cooked last night. She made, um, something she calls bachelorette salad. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, a a friend of ours, um, Linda Peel. It's her salad. Actually it's, it's tortellini. Um, those little um, packages of filled tortellini you get at the grocery store, Mm -hmm. um, pan fried in oil, um, with leftover chicken. Um, in this case, some Louisiana strawberries, which are just coming in blue cheese, um, some, some of this really great lemon olive oil we get from Zingerman's, um, and what Blair refers to as jewelry in the salad. So it means like everything from roasted pecans to sun-dried cranberries to whatever. Um, so it was, it was a leftover meal, but it's, but it's part of Blair's repertoire. So it, it's, it's also good as great comfort because I know what to expect. I know I love it. Um, you know, she also does a chicken fricassee that I love with a little bit of sherry in the sauce that, that was her mother's recipe. Um, that's a that's a recurring um, part of our lives. Well, I, I really thank you for your time. And you're a very busy man. Um, is there anything that you want to promote that's coming up um, or where should people follow you? Sure. Um, I um, how would I want to promote. Um, my wife's art show. So if you, if you, um, you know, you're, you're hearing, if you're hearing this in Atlanta, um, you know, please know that my wife has a show coming up. Blair Hobbs has a show coming up at Spalding Mix Gallery in Atlanta in November. Um, and that show, um, will in part focus on my wife's, um, fight, um, uh, against a, a, a medical condition that, um, requires a fight out of somebody and, uh, the show will grapple with that. Um, and, uh, she's really excited about it and I'm really, um, excited for her. So, um, you know, don't pay any damn attention to my stuff. Go, go see my wife. <laughs> All right. We'll definitely link to the gallery in the show notes, but uh, well, thank you again, John T. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I love everything that you do. Uh, you're, you're generous and, and I thank you for the good time. Well, that's this week's episode. Thanks to John T for his time. And thank you to you for listening. If you want to keep up with me, you can find me as Jennifer Zeman or the food that binds on Instagram and Twitter. Next week, we're joined by Neil Cohen, one of the co-founders of tip top proper cocktails. That's based in Atlanta, Georgia. Again, we'll be back next Sunday with Neil Cohen. And this has been Jennifer Zeman, your host of the food that binds. Thanks for listening.